the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Salas, and with me, as always, is my very, very talented friend. She is definitely a little bit of sugar and a whole lot of spice. The mixtress, DC Gina. <laughs> Hi, Louise. Hey. I'm, I'm ready for this. You ready? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, I'm going to take a little, little turn here, um, and let's talk about old wives' tales. Okay. And, uh, and, and the truth is, many of them are 100% false. Not all, but many. So, did you know that the old one pull one gray hair and two will grow back? I believe that's true. It's apparently completely false. Um, <laughs> so, they've proven that it's false. Because, so, don't be afraid. Pluck away those damn grays if you want. Um, because one follicle has nothing to do with its neighbor. They say it's safe. Don't be afraid. And did you, do you remember, my mom used to say this, definitely, sitting too close to the television screen will make you go blind. Yeah. Don't complete lie. My mother was completely wrong. But here's an interesting fact. When GE first started producing a color TV, it was in the 1960s, they actually emitted up to 100,000 times more radiation than the federal health officials considered to be safe. Hmm. So... We're going blind, but <laughs> you were being radiated. Um, good thing is, is they immediately took those off. The, they recalled all those, but that's a so superstition still remains. Here's another one for you. So, uh, do you think eating carrots will improve your eyesight? I want to say yes. Well, that's not true either. Um, carrots um, do contain nutrients like vitamin A, and they actually do help maintain eye health, but it, they can't undo the damage. If, ah, yeah. it, it's too late. Done is done. Last but not least, what about the one a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down? Now that's true. And actually, it is. And here's why. Um, starting in 1955, uh, they, start, they, ha- they started oral um, version to replace, admitting uh, the oral version as opposed to the injectable um, vaccine for polio. And children were given the vaccine um, on a liquid drop on a sugar sugar cube. And they had to swallow that. That seems kind of tough either way, but at least I would imagine it was a lot better than getting the shot. Um, So, and so scientists have proved that like if you give um, infants, um, when they're given a little bit of sugar solution before an injection, injection, they actually feel less pain. Um, And they, and they, think it has to do with that the sweet taste works through the nerve channels in the tongue that perceives sweetness in the brain. And then the brain reacts, of course, by producing endorphins in the body's natural pain relievers. And then when your kids go mental, because they just had all this sugar because you got got their vaccines, what does the mother get? Uh, Cocktail? That's the cocktail. Absolutely (laughs) the cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) So while we're on the subject of sugar, sugar, let's go ahead and introduce today's designated drinker. Please welcome owner of Three Brothers Farm, Bob Romero, to the show. Hello. Welcome to the show, Bob. I have to... Please forgive me. I'm going to say it's really sweet to finally meet you. <laughs> nice. I'm here to also dispel the rumor that of such a thing as a sugar high yeah. that ruins kids, makes them crazy. That's not true. Oh. That's not true. No? There's only 15 calories in a teaspoon. How much can you put into a child that will make him crazy? Yeah. <laughs> not gonna not are you just saying the children are crazy to start? Well, it could be, but I think what you what we need to do is every time we give the child some, we should give the mom the same amount. Yeah. Yeah, so ah. she can stay. See, there you go. 
Yeah. I think I think I think Gina's buying what you're selling. She is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got more where that came from. <laughs> I've heard that about you. <laughs> so tell us tell us a little bit about um the the farms. Tell tell you know I would like to hear all about your sugar cane. I know Gina is because I know she's biting at the bit to talk to you. Um, but then I really want you to explain because you, you use this term and I was like it was so cool. I'd like you to explain what a gentleman farmer is. I'll get to that. Let me tell you, I am the third owner of this farm since 1890. Wow. So in 1890, there was an old man and his brother that bought the land and built a little uh, probably 10 by 12 cypress building out of reclaimed cypress wood. I still have that building, so it, wow. that wood's probably 150 years old. But interestingly, in 1944, which is the year I was born in, my grandfather bought that land, and the deal was... You can buy my daddy's land, but you have to let him live out his life. My grandfather said, sure. So my grandfather grew sweet potatoes and cotton on that land back in the 44, probably probably until maybe 62. He had died in 60. So in 62, my grandmother started growing sugar. Mm. And sugar, you know, is kind of like roses. You breed them. You, you don't mess with, it's not a, G, it's not a, a GMO product. You, you breed them like you do roses. You lay rhizomes down in the ground. You, you splice them. That's how sugar is bred. And we have actual, LSU has sugar research farms, two of them. And they do research trying to figure what's the best one. So right now, the sugar that I grow on my farm has a number. It's called 540. It used to be when you'd have sugar cane, um, and we used to call it ribbon cane. It had a blue cast to it and it was about an inch and a quarter inch and a half in diameter and used to peel it and chew on it and all the sugar would come out and that was a real treat for us growing up I bet. but it was a problem in that it was bug sensitive and when a hurricane came which happens once a year if it laid your cane down you had to harvest it by hand when you harvest it by hand it was huge labor cost and there was a lot of injuries because you'd use a big knife to cut the cane with so fast forward to about maybe 1975, um, we were making sugarcane. Uh, we developed a really good harvester that would go down the, the, the field and cut the canes ground level on two rows at a time. And the cut canes would fall along the side of the harvester and lay along the back of the harvester across those two rows. Behind that, a person would come along and set it to fire. And you would burn it so that you'd burn all the leaves off. Consequently, when your yeah. trucks got to the grinding mill, which we call a factory, there was less loss. You had a higher weight of juice. So you got paid a little bit better. Gotcha. And the mill liked it. So fast forward to probably 2005, that period from the 70s to the end of 2000, um, the Louisiana Department of Agriculture really frowned on people burning the cane. It created this ash or soot that would go around, and there were some allergy problems reported. So all of the guys tried to, tried to move to a new combine cutter. It only cut one row at a time, but the operator was able to cut it to within a half inch of, of where he wanted. So he'd get down closer to the earth. That's a big deal when, you, when you're cutting 4,000 acres. Oh, I bet. An extra half inch. So he would get down, and then it would take and clip the top of the sugar cane off, which is all leaf and blow it out, mm -hmm. and then the other part it would cut into what we call billets, 18 inches long, shove them back into a, 
a, a conveyor that would blow them into a cart that was being towed alongside the harvester. Oh. So all of a sudden, we ended up with a much cleaner, much more efficient process. Yeah. The sugar cane, cane changed also. In the breeding process, we discovered that cane that was grown in Hawaii had, instead of coming out of the ground straight like a bamboo, it would come up more like, like, like a asparagus or something that was curved, yeah. more, more curved to it. And the result, and it was thinner. And the result was when the when the hurricanes came, it was less apt to lay down. Oh, it was also sense. rock hard, and so bugs were less resistant. With a sugarcane farmer, we don't spend any money or action on pesticides or artificial. Yeah. Ferment, uh, yeah. I want to say fermentation, but fertilization. Yeah. I mean, we don't. It, it's it's really a, a pretty natural product. It's not GMO, and we and and the only reason we can't be a claim to organic is in the United States. You have to be a thousand feet. Yeah. And we are required by workers' comp to spray our fields and control the grass on the edge of the sugarcane. Oh. We're, I'm 14 miles from the Gulf, so we coastal Bermuda is, is a problem. So, you know, the product is really quite good. Now, let's go back to what you asked about a gentleman, <laughs> a gentleman farmer. Back in the, in the days when we referred to um, sugar barons, they weren't sugar barons, they were rum barons. They would cut the sugar cane. They didn't know a whole lot about it. They knew it came from the islands, and it was pretty good stuff. And if you juiced it right, and you did it right, and I don't know what some of those did it rights were, yeah. but it could come into the family house as a sweetener. But for the most part, the money came from the rum. I'm sure. And so when Show Me the Money takes place, it was <laughs> rum. So then fast forward to, I think, probably the 1700s, I think. Uh, there was a, a gentleman farmer here in New Orleans named Etienne de Boré. B-O-R-E. Etienne had a farm out what is now Claiborne, around Tulane, what is now Tulane. And he had a big farm there. And everybody had land grants that gave them river frontage because that was like the interstate transport. Gotcha. So he had, you know, you have a farm that's kind of narrow. You might have only 50 feet on the river, but it gave you access to transportation. Etienne had a, a big bunch of farmers and they would make syrup. Uh, and cane syrup, they knew how to do that. Apparently somebody went to sleep at the switch. Whoops. And all the syrup, <laughs> the fire went out, the syrup crystallized. Perhaps it was some of the rum yeah. that the <laughs> operators were using. But all that sugar that crystallized ended up being able to be used as sugar in the plantation. So Etienne de Boré apparently is considered the father of crystalline sugar as we know it today. Now a lot has taken place since then. It's not brown sugar or anything like yeah. that, it's, it's white and it's highly refined and it's pure. Now, while I mention that term to you, when you hear the term brown sugar, brown sugar is not raw sugar. Brown sugar is white sugar that is dropped through a aerosol spray of cane syrup, which makes it brown. What? Oh. So it's not raw sugar. If you want raw sugar, yeah. raw sugar is known also as well, it's called Demerara. Yeah. Uh, it, there's a couple of names for it that come from the islands, actually. But raw sugar is sugar that we grind at the mill, we boil it three times, and we drop it down through a refrigerated blast of air pushed by a turbine 
drops down onto a clean floor, and it's called turbinado from oh, the turbine. I have seen that. And and the raw sugar then is not a food product. It's a raw material. Looks just like that. Some changes in color. Some are darker than they others. They put it in smoothies, people. Put the turbinado in their smoothies now. What is it? What do you mean? Turbinado sugar. Turbinado sugar is raw. It, turbinado sugar is legally and technically raw sugar. It's not been refined. Brown sugar is white sugar that's been sprayed with cane syrup. And then dark brown sugar is? Sprayed with more cane syrup, additional. And I think it's a double process. I think they spray it twice. How do you refine it to white sugar? Um, very much like you make rum. Okay, <laughs> the, so So you, you boil it and you skim it and you continue to boil it and then you you boil the juice, you juice these things. That's correct. You bring it back to a solution. And, and understand, syrups, so my education is in chemistry. A syrup is a supersaturated sugar solution. Yeah. So what they do to make brown sugar is they take that white sugar, they dissolve it, and they continue to dissolve, put more and more sugar. The higher you raise that solution temperature, the more you can dissolve. You reach a point, probably around 250 degrees, where that wants to really congeal into crystals. And once the crystallization starts, that cascade takes over and everything crystallizes. If you've got that sugar cleaned up to the point where it's mostly white, it's going to give you white crystals. And then you just mill it? That's it. No, that's it. You, you Well, you... You polish it, if you would. Like you rice? Know. Like how you polish rice? No, you run it through uh, a sieves to make sure it's a small enough size. Oh. If they're too big, they go back through and get redissolved and, 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 and remade. So it's, uh, you know, it's not... You know how much sugar I use, Bob? <laughs> Every day in my bartending career. <laughs> and I didn't know, like... Any like what the difference between raw sugar and turbinado was, and I'm completely wrong about dark brown sugar. <laughs> well, dark brown sugar. Now there is a place. You know, if you're a baker and you want to make pecan pie, you need to use um, a certain amount of um, uh, corn syrup or mm -hmm. high fructose corn yes. syrup. Yes. Another name for that is Cairo. Yes. So there's a lot of bad stuff going on around K about Cairo. It's made from corn. Um, it's it's different the way it works in your body. Although, let me say right off the bat, in the Krebs cycle, in your body, it gets converted to plain old glucose. Okay? Yeah. So it's sugar. Yeah. But it goes through some things and stays in your body being metabolized longer. Uh -huh. And as a result, your blood sugar level is higher. And so your kidneys work harder. And it becomes a very uh, diametrically opposed system. Wow. To good, to good sugar metabolism. Yeah. Hmm. But it's still 15 calories a teaspoon. <laughs> so there's chemistry involved. Like in baking, you want to put carol syrup in a pecan pie. It probably works better. But in syrup that you put on your pancakes, you would be better having cane syrup or maple syrup. There's a lot of consternation right now because the FDA is requiring, is, uh, is talking about requiring different labeling requirements for cane and and, and um, uh, maple syrup, they want to say that there's added calories. And what they're saying there is that the calories that you add that of Cairo or, or cane syrup that you add to your waffles, that's added calories to that dietary consumption. It's not changing the number of calories 
in that product. Yeah. And the labeling is very confusing. That, that is confusing. Yeah. So we're going through that with the FDA right now. Uh, but still, you know, how are you going to make things without sugar? I mean, yeah. it's chemistry. You put. A, you ever hear people say you put a pinch of salt in it? Yeah. Well, that yeah. pinch of salt doesn't impact the flavor. It's the chemistry. Yeah. It needs to be done. You know, like, um, you know, you bring it, you're going to boil corn or potatoes. You put the water boiling. You should put the salt in at the end when it's boiling because when you put the salt in, you slow the water from coming to a boil. Yeah. These little bitty chemistry tidbits affect what we have here. And the fact is that white sugar, if you aerosol spray it with cane syrup, becomes brown sugar. If you run it back through and spray it again, it becomes dark brown sugar as opposed to light brown sugar. Yeah. Raw sugar has never been refined. It's never been a white sugar. Some of the white, some of the raw sugar that I sell to cocktail makers, rum makers, restaurants like this one, some of the batches that I have are darker than this. This one actually is pretty um, um, fluid, if you would. Yeah. yeah. Runs nicely. It's very grainy. Um, I have some that you gotta. Uh, pretty much work on because there's a lot of syrup content and moisture and and if you leave it uncovered it's hygroscopic so it's going to draw moisture out of the air mm -hmm. not that we have a lot of that in the south <laughs> but it, it will make it kind of kind of hard yeah and and, and clumpy well so, the term say the term again you just said what that draws the moisture out of the air what hygroscopic hydro hygro Hygroscopic. Hygroscopic. It's a sugar. You can you can Google water attracting. No, I use sugar to leach um, fruit. So like when I like say like I have um, I don't know uh, wine grapes, right? And I want to make a syrup or something out of it. I don't ever cook them. I take the sugar and I'll put them um, and I'll cover the grapes lightly, and then I put a cover on it, and then I put it like someplace a little bit warm. And that sugar does all the work for me and leaches all of the goodness out of those That's grapes. That's correct. If you put it on citrus fruits, it's really, uh, really pronounced. So if you take slices of pineapple, I mean, a uh, uh, grapefruit, uh, lemon, lime, orange, and you, you put those slices down on a cookie sheet and you sprinkle them with sugar, this is going to draw that out. And it's going to make a really delightful flavor. And what's even better is if you take the fruit and use that fruit because it's pulling some of the sugar in. Remember, this, the, the, the part of the sugar that's not liquid is called the solute. And it's trying to go in a place where there's less concentration of it. And the water, which is the solvent, is trying to go in a place where there's less concentration of it. So this water and the sugar huh. are, are, are exchanging place and they're gonna reach a place where at some point, and maybe not in the time you're looking for it, but they'll reach a point of equilibrium where it's the same throughout the piece of, of, of citrus. So you asked me a question early and I didn't answer it. <laughs> so the term gentleman farmer today probably has more prominence and more meaning than it was when Etienne de Boré was a was a, a farmer. De Boré lived right there, and the area where he was became prominent for making sugar, mm -hmm. and that area was ultimately referred to as the Sugar Bowl. Oh. Then Tulane University acquired that land, and they built their stadium there, and it was called the Sugar Bowl. Nah. And so the, 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 fame, the football game that's played on New Year's Day is a takeaway from that, even though it's played in the Superdome. So the history of of sugar is, is real. It's not because we had a big bowl stadium and we call it, you know, so it was really there. This so it, northerner thought that. Yeah. I was like, why do they call it that game? Whatever. That's the story about it. And, and, and so 
even the even the the the, the imagery has changed because they had his beautiful sterling cup that looks like a big sugar cup. It's it, you know it's Etienne de Boré. Yeah. And so fast forward away from de Boré to me, you know, 300 years. My ancestors um, came from Spain. Romero is a Spanish name, and and Angelé Romero was a bullfighter. Furthest thing in the world from me. <laughs> I'm a gentleman farmer. So how did I get into this thing? Well, I inherited it. Through, so I'm the third owner of this of this land. And so what happened? When you're making sugar today, you need to uh, to operate sugar in a minimum of 3,000 acres. Wow. Because the equipment is so expensive. So you have to have about eight tractors. Each of those are about. Ninety-five to $105,000. They each have to have carts, which are around $35,000 a piece. And the combine harvester, you need two of them, and that guy's about $250,000. So if you're going to be a, a sugarcane farmer, you need about $2 million worth of equipment. Yeah. And they operate those things. I mean, they, they work pretty much year-round. Yeah. So a, a, a gentleman farmer such as me, I don't own all that equipment. So I hire a person who has all that equipment gotcha. and he has other farm owners like me that own land that have sugar on it. And he buys my sugar from me in the ground or I sell it to the grinding mill in the ground. Oh, gotcha. So my crop is already bought. So if I get a request from a, a barkeeper who says, I want to make swizzle sticks out of sugar cane. Can you get me some stalks? Not gonna happen. And besides, yeah. when I cut them, you got about eight hours to use them, and they're gonna sour and ultimately turn to rum. So <laughs> that's not a, all bad, right? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so a gentleman farmer is a guy that simply hires another person. My farmer is a young man who played Division One college football. He's a tremendous football star, but all he ever wanted to do all of his life was be a farmer. That's it. So he farms my land and my neighbor's land, and the guy across the street, he farms about 4,400 acres of land, and he's 30 years old. Wow. I'm the gentleman farmer. He's the farmer. Gotcha. That makes sense. That's amazing. I guess I never realized, I always just thought a farm owned the equipment. I never thought about that, which makes far more sense because that equipment is used across multiple farms, and always in being used, well, right? and that's one of the reasons why you, it, it, my farm is called Three Brothers Farm. Mm -hmm. The kid that's farming my farm, his farm name is called Sugarland Acres Farms, plural, uh -huh. because he has several of me, people like me that yeah. he farms for. Yeah. So he is farms. Yeah. I'm farm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one guy. I like uh, so. So let's talk about sugarcane. So you have your so your area. Where exactly are you growing the sugarcane? Like what is the area? So if you look at Louisiana, it's kind of boot shaped. Yeah. If you if you take the part that's the foot of the boot, and you, you just knock it off, <laughs> and you have this column of a state, if you would, right about the middle, about 14 miles off the Gulf, there's a little town called Erath, E R A T H. And it's in Vermilion Parish. We don't have counties. Yeah. We have parishes. Yeah. And so my farm is located there. Um, during Hurricane Katrina, uh, my kids living here in New Orleans evacuated to our farm. And, of course, we watched in horror as the city filled up. Yeah. Um, the, the end of that month, Hurricane Rita came, and everybody was still evacuated. 
um, we had oodles of damage from to our sugarcane, and we had a, a huge fig business. We had a fig orchards, yeah. and all that was destroyed. What kind of figs? Um, they're, the, the variety is called Celeste. It's white. It's smaller. It looks like a, a, a brown turkey fig, but oh. a little bit smaller. Mm. Very sweet, a closed eye. It doesn't. Uh, insects can't come in the eye. Gotcha. We used to make about twenty-five thousand half pint jars of preserves. We sold some to restaurants and a lot here at the farmers market in New Orleans every week. And those fig trees did not come back after the storm. They just died because of the water. That's we had twenty-two hours of salt-infused rain, and um, they just never came back. They failed to thrive, and they were subject to bug bug problems. And um, the LSU School of Entomology came out and looked at them, and we ended up doing a lot of uh, trimming and burning of, of woodstock. It, it was sad, but uh, it's just, you know, that's a form of... I'm not a farmer. I'm that made like that. If it's yeah. pouring down rain and I can't get my tractors into the field, I'm freaking out. Dwayne, my farmer does not. He just gets up in the morning and has another cup of coffee. Yeah. I mean, farmers are just wired different. Yeah. I'm not like that. Yeah. They have to learn to weather this storm, no pun intended, or all pun intended. All pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of, let me, we didn't say where we were today. Where we're hosting. We, need we to are actually. in, uh, we're in Brennan's, and yeah. we're in the chess room upstairs, and it's lovely. Yeah, once again, they're I'm like hosting us. Sorry, I'm listening to them. Like, <laughs> and I'm like now thinking like everything I may have thought of sugar is wrong. Well, why don't we give uh, oh, so this Bob is a little, uh, you know, a little sugar sugar. So Bob right. told us before we started the show today that he has never had a Sazerac. Never. Never had a Sazerac. I'm going to make you your first Sazerac. And here's the, here's the kicker. A Sazerac's made with, so to make a Sazerac, you have to have absinthe, uh, a whiskey, sh- uh, syrup, a little bit of syrup. It's very little bit of sugar. And um, Peychaud's bitters has to have Peychaud's bitters. Well, Peychaud's hasn't changed their recipe in forever, but they made a barrel-aged bitters. Oh. And it just came out. And um, Lou Brown, that's the resident bartender here, of course, she has everything. <laughs> it is downstairs, and I am lucky enough to go down there, and I got it. And then we're going to make that, and we're going to do that today. Great. And, ready, Bob? And, uh, and I'm using the cocktail and signs um, syrup, which is also your sugar. Yeah, Cocktail and Sons buys um, sugar from us, from our farm, in one-ton sacks. Wow. So we really... What does that mean? Like, how do you drop off a ton? I know what it, I mean, like... Here's a ton, or is it broken down, or? No, it's in a sack. It's weighed, actually, it's weighed in my truck. The way my truck empty, then they weigh my truck. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Full. right, right. Okay, so it's called a long ton. It's it's about 2,080 to about 2,200 pounds. It's in a big white sack. And um, the Cocktail and Sons folks, they make a lot of syrups, and they concentrate their syrups from our raw sugar. Um, they make, you remember, I told you about super saturated yeah, syrups. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So they do that. Their syrups are not quite as dark as the syrups that I make, but they're not looking for that. They're looking for a, a sweetener and a vehicle to carry a lot of the other flavors. And syrups do that. You talked about medicine a while ago. Mm-hmm. You know, in the early um, 60s and 70s, kids' medicine was made in syrups. Yeah. Because kids could take syrups. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm kind yeah. of okay with that too. Okay. 
little bit of sugar. Um, we're gonna do, all right, so let's talk about this. So we're gonna do the Sazerac. So when you're making a Sazerac, you're gonna build it in two parts. One, you take a glass and um, you pour in there about a tablespoon of absinthe, ice, um, and you let it sit so your glass is getting nice and cold. We've let our glass sit for a long time. And then in a stirring glass, you are going to pour, um, we can use bourbon for the, well, no, we're gonna use rye, Sazerac. So we're gonna use um, uh, wild turkey rye, and we're gonna be, and it's two ounces. Now this is, um, it's fun because in the Sazerac, again, it's a little personal and how you like it, uh, you know, it's just kind of like your sweet tooth. Um, I personally like just a bar spoon of um, sweetener, uh, syrup, sorry, I'm like sweetener. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm having another drink, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, we're gonna make this just, uh, we're, gonna go, we're gonna go buy the book today. So we're gonna actually put in there a quarter, a quarter ounce for the cocktail. So if we're making two, we're gonna do a half an ounce. It goes directly in there, and then the real thing is, is doing the pechos. It has to have the pechos, but today we're using the new pechos, which is a barrel-aged pecho, whiskey barrel-aged pechos bitters, which is kind of amazing, considering the fact they have a new product after 200 years. <laughs> I mean, ridiculous, right? So we're gonna do it in there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I like five for a drink. I have never changed it. That's what I do. Some people like six. There is two, we put in 10. So we're gonna put our ice in there, fill it three quarters of the way, and we're gonna stir it. Uh, we have two cocktails in there, so we're gonna do a little bit more than 30 rotations. Do something around, I don't know, when it looks the right color. <laughs> so say 45, 50. Um, and you know, you're, you're stirring the cocktail glass right when you really don't hear anything except a gentle sound and you don't hear clunk, 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 because clunk, clunk, clunk means that you need to stir longer because you're not actually stirring it. You want to make sure that this is getting the proper dilution that it needs because a Sazerac not stirred um, and just poured over ice is disgusting. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that. Yeah. yeah. I like how, do not, there's no two ways about it. It's but wait, tell us why, I'll serve this to you all. Tell us why you never had a Sazerac, because that's my favorite part of why you never You know, had I think um, the fact that it has absinthe in it um, has always been a, um, a, a displeasurable memory for me because when I was a child growing up and would go to the dentist, uh, my dentist, uh, in an effort I would suppose to calm children down, would come out into the waiting room and offer us a little bit of this red stuff, and it was um, um, a, 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 a licorice liqueur called yeah. Anisette. And um, so I have this memory of licorice, or if you would, absinthe. Yeah. Um, or herb saint. It, it, it stays with me. So I've kind of avoided that. And I have to tell you, for our honeymoon, my wife and I came to New Orleans, and we stayed at the Roosevelt Hotel, which is where the bar is, the Sazerac Bar. Sazerac Room. And, um, and it was always so crowded, and I always have been romantically wanting to try it. <laughs> I, I kind of liken it to, my dad was a, um, um, he was a POW during World War II, and, and the Germans would take one potato and one onion and put it in a, 
uh, a 10 gallon pot and make a broth and everybody get one cup of that a day yeah or one one whatever if a day lucky, yeah. my father hated onions to start off with and he told me one day he says I really want to like an onion yeah. I want to like fried onion rings or I like onions sauteed but he said I just can't get there yeah I think I'm like that about that mental block uh, that yeah, childhood scar so. the dentist yeah I think so but I'm going to give this a try. Look how beautiful that color is. It is. And if this works, I'm going to tell my dentist about it. <laughs> <laughs> or I may, I may walk in with one of these. There you go. You can do that here. <laughs> you can. So you put a little, the last part of this is like a, basically like a, just a, a little skin, maybe the size of a dime of um, lemon peel. You do not need a big peel on this drink. You want just a little bit, so it takes away, when you smell it, it takes away the smell of the absinthe. It gives you that brightness of the lemon. Thank you. And then all of a sudden, you have this cocktail that is just oh. layered. Oh, that smells Well, here's to gentlemen farmers. Yes, absolutely. And city girls. <laughs> and, <laughs> and dentist. <laughs> Cheers. Ooh. Now, this is in the category of an, an old-fashioned. I like this. That's a Sazerac. I like You're having this. a Sazerac? Now, is it possible? I'm, I'm sure it's possible. You could have a bad Sazerac. Like, you could have a bad yeah, dentist. ten of them. You could have terrible Sazeracs here in New Orleans. Um, it has the makings of a bad drink. Yeah. But it has the makings of something magic. It is, um, when it's made right, everything goes, it harmonizes together. Each thing has its part. Yes. And it works together, and you don't taste one over the other. When made poorly, this will taste like just the acid. Like my dentist. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, have you been around New Orleans? <laughs> tastes, like my, tastes like my dentist. <laughs> have, you been, have you been around New Orleans and had some Sazeracs? Oh, yeah. So, after this, after this interview, you need to tell me where to go and where not to go. You need to go to, I'll tell you, I'll tell you right on, right on the air. Um, you go to the, you go to the Roosevelt Room, for sure. Arno's amazing. You go to like those places, and Brennan's downstairs. Lou will make you a fabulous Azarac, and you avoid any place other than the Roosevelt Room. It's at Roosevelt Hotel and the Sazerac Room. It says home of the Sazerac. Yeah, because that is a problem here. Everybody plays clean to things, and then like they don't care. So the Roosevelt Sazerac Bar is a good place to get one. The best. See, the Roosevelt. Well, is a very I would say, and then anywhere Gina's making a cocktail. Or, or oh, this, <laughs> yeah. This rules. My favorite drink, and the, um, at the Roosevelt um, Hotel in the Sazerac Bar is um, is actually a Ramos Gin Fizz. They make the best Ramos Gin Fizzes. There. I don't think I've had a bad Ramos Gin Fizz. Really? Really? I mean, again, sugar. I mean, Napoleon has me. Milk, yeah. whatever, uh, you know, whatever's in there I, it makes it white. Yeah, cream. <laughs> you know, I, I pour half and half in my coffee, and whatever I have left over, I just rub on my tummy. It's probably <laughs> going there. That's where it's going. I would say just rub it on my hip because that's yeah. where it's going, Bob. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's the difference in 2% milk and half and half? Maybe six or eight percentage points of fat. I yeah. mean, you know, it makes a difference. And so when we're talking about stuff like this, come on, guys. Yep. If I'm going to go out and have a drink, I want a good drink. Absolutely. They're all going to be 15 bucks. Yeah. That's yeah. what today is about. Yeah. But let's face it, a good, this is delicious. Thank you. Yeah. I grew up with old fashions. Yeah. But I could drink this. 
Nice. And I and of the places you mentioned, one of them is one of my favorite restaurants. Yeah. And and you know, since this has taken, this has been a re, this is a reincarnation of this old restaurant. So you'll be here, Brennan's. Brennan's yeah. is, and 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 I'm glad to hear you say that. They make some really good stuff here. Oh yeah. And I've not had a Sazerac here, but I'm willing to try it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can have a banana sauce and a Sazerac just for fun. No. Oh. I brought some kids from our. I was a. I'm an Army veteran, and I brought a bunch of kids here that are ROTC. Thank you for your service. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I, I brought a bunch. That's important because when I was in the Army and came home mm-hmm. to see my kid born, I was on leave, and I came home and had no idea what was going on. It was the Vietnam War, yeah. and uh, I got spit on and called baby killer. It was a horrible experience. I bet. And then I go home and I see this magnificent child. Who now weighs a hundred pounds more than me? <laughs> bigger kid than I thought. But I digress. But you know, um, when 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 we talk about, um, I'm trying to say say this right. When we talk about these flavors, like we were talking about earlier, about sugar, you weren't aware of brown sugar and all that. Truthfully, brown sugar, raw sugar, white sugar, and Cairo are all nominally 15 calories a teaspoon. So I don't want to make a position here that raw sugar is a better health issue. It's not necessarily a better health item. But if you're going to have sugar, it's unrefined. It takes a little bit more effort from your body to make it happen. Uh, I like that. You could take rye whiskey and a lemon peel and the other items that you put in here, and you have a drink. Yeah. But it's not necessarily a drink. Yeah. Drink. Yeah. I mean, this is really good. I mean, I have always been fearful of trying a Sazerac, and I'm not now. And I have, my favorite restaurant is one of the, one of them that you named. And I haven't been. I've been here once with the ROTC kids. Yeah. To yeah. give them bananas Foster. Yeah. I should have had a Sazerac. Well, now you know. Yeah. That that dish is uh, is just so ridiculous. How the bananas can be that good? You know, what I mean? <laughs> just butter and sugar. I mean, it's amazing. Well, uh, our lady, the American who was a great French chef, used to say, oh, it's a problem. <laughs> it needs more butter. <laughs> I sugar. <laughs> so I bastardized those names because I say sugar. Yeah. Sugar. Oh, butter. <laughs> I've learned that here. Uh, it actually, I, I, I learned English in the first grade. I'm, I'm Cajun, which mm-hmm. is the descendants of the of the immigrants around Lafayette. Yeah. Um, and I, I, when I speak French to French people, to French people or Canadians, they like my accent. I, I didn't know I had an accent. Yeah. Now, I think... Neither do I. <laughs> I was just going to say, you guys talk pretty funny. Man, that Hawaiian accent really fooled me. But I think it's it's wonderful to, to come here and to... I did not know that Tails was 17 years old, and I, I've been here as a guest of some of the of some of the makers. Yeah. Because my product is used. Yeah. This is a consumer product that you're looking at here in the raw sugar and the cane syrup, but I, I manufacture this in one-ton bags for some industrial users, um, syrup in five-gallon pails for salad makers, and um, so I, you know I'm kind of like a manufacturer. I, I don't. I'm not really the end product. And you know, truthfully, I started making the syrup because my granddaughter 
We grew up with cane syrup. Yeah. My granddaughter had developed an allergy to, to corn syrup, and one day she had a reaction. We were having homemade pancakes. She had a reaction. So I started making it, and it was really quite good. And, but my recipe, ended, after I made my recipe, it made 42 bottles. Mm. And, you know, that's enough to last me 42 years. <laughs> yeah. so, so, uh, so I started giving some away, and one of them happened into the hands of a person who was the forager for Whole Foods. And so the result was we ended up making it in large quantities, nice. putting it in 12-ounce bottles and selling it at Whole Foods. A lot of that has changed since Amazon's acquired Whole Foods. Uh, a lot you, of you don't sell anymore. It's all. You, it's very hard to find any local products in any Whole Foods anymore. Um, you know they've become very Wall Street. The managers used to be you'd go in and see a grocery manager. It would be like going into a bar and talking to you. Yeah. Well now I can't. I got to talk to the, the the CPA that runs the restaurant. That's kind of like what Whole Foods has turned into, and it's really unfortunate. There's a lot of great Whole Foods market makers in each of the markets they are. If I was in Northern California, I would be buying local garlic. Of course. Because that's 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 boss there. Um, you know, if I was in uh, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan or up in Michigan, I'd be buying the whitefish there. Yeah. I, I mean, if I'm in Whole Foods here, I'd be buying local sugar. Yeah. And I was in all the Whole Foods stores in, in this zone. I don't mean to be on a, on a pedestal about Whole Foods, because I still shop there. But I think it's unfortunate people are deprived of such stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Local kale is different from kale that comes in a box from California. Oh, yeah. I love the local kale here. Yeah, it's all it's frawny and delicious. It is very much. And you should try the local spinach. I'm mean, not spinach, uh, mustard greens. The mustard greens and collard greens are are remarkable. Huh. I mean, I mean they're they're really fall and winter crops, but it's amazing. But in New Orleans, you could pretty much throw stuff on the ground and it'll grow. <laughs> and so there have been people that have been able to develop growing mustard and collards this time of year when it's a hundred degrees on on the dirt. Yeah. So I, I just I, there's so much here. And and look. If I lived in Northern California, I'd be figuring out how to use all that garlic. Yeah. And, and, yeah. You know, and, and so I, I think there's something resourceful in all of the, all of the areas of this, of this country. Yeah, buying local, I mean, I think everyone, that's a, is a, it makes so much sense. Not only are you supporting your, your, your local community, um, but you're, 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 Staying close to home, you're less of a footprint. It's not as far. Oh, there's no question you're supporting about it. Uh, small businesses. Um, so all of that makes so much sense. If, if you look here, this is a thing called um, Eat Local. This is the 26. We, we were corporate sponsors along with Rouse's and Oshner Foundation Hospital um, and the Louisiana Sweet Potato Authority and, 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 or Council. And the interesting part about that is these are all local people. So we help support this. And when you registered, you got this bag with a few goodies in it, and one of them was a bottle of sugar or a bottle of syrup. And the, the thrust was, in the month of June, eat only stuff that's grown within 200 miles of New Orleans. Oh, interesting. Now, 200 miles, you would say, well, that's pretty far. What 200 miles gave you is it gave you oysters, for example, all the way to Apalachicola, Florida, and Brownsville, Texas. So it was a Gulf fishery. Yeah, yeah. All right? And 200 miles up northward, you probably got some things that were grown in the cotton country, perhaps tomatoes, you know, yeah. stuff like that. But our sugar was part of it because we were we were growing 100 miles from New yeah. Orleans. That was a, a, a that has started off as a little tiny project 
and it's 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 grown into something that just grew out of control. That's a good thing. Yeah. And wherever you are, there's got to be something good. It might be a local turnip. <laughs> you know, it might be local sugar. Yeah. It might be, you know, any of a number of things. I, I had a friend living in Florida, and I went to see them one time, and um, I was stunned at the stuff that's in Florida that is not tomatoes or oranges. Hmm, yeah. I mean, you would think Florida, it, they make the nation's tomatoes, and they make the nation's oranges. I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. they are. I went over there, and I found... Uh, places where they grow actually grow celery. Now, yeah. who'd have thunk it to buy <laughs> celery at a farmer's market? Yeah. It's different, guys. Yeah. And so, I really thought that green. was green. Yeah. Dark green. Leaves I put in my gumbo. Yeah. Ooh, I chop I them like uh, like delicious. Yeah, like parsley. So, and, and men cook here, so we do a lot of that. So, men <laughs> I talk to about the syrup and the and the sugar with their grandchildren. So a, gentle, a gentleman farmer, you have to be able to endorse the check and get out the way of the farmer who actually does the hardware, the hard work. <laughs> yeah. Does the hard labor. Yeah. So, a um, little housekeeping? Yeah. Um, so, if you want Gina's tips on how to make this amazing Sazerac, mm. we're going to send them where, Gina? To designateddrinker.show. What did you say? <clears throat> Designated drinker not show. <laughs> I gotta stop drinking the products. <laughs> um, you're gonna get her tips, her how tos, um, all the ingredients, recipes, everything you need to make this amazing cocktail. And we're also gonna make sure that there are links to Bob to your farms and in and, and order and your website rather, so that way um, if people wanna buy your product, learn more about what's amazing, all that work you're doing about buying and keeping it local. Um, that that's all applaud all of that and make sure that they have you know uh, no more and, and how to get your product yeah I, I like that I, you know I'm kind of beyond the the uh, the, the age of, of highly uh, automated stuff but I have a, my son is redoing the, the, our website and we're fixing to put stuff on there with photographs of the harvest and, um, but I would say probably about 80% of New Orleans fine tablecloth restaurants use our product and there are folks that, you know, there are rum makers that dress their rum with it. Raw sugar is probably a, a, an invisible ingredient you probably didn't know a lot about. Yeah, yeah. Something uh, just common and, you don't think much about. Yeah. Well, now I, I'm even more intrigued. So we have one more last question. Um, so in the day of uh, everyone identifies with a spirit animal, and they say, I, you know, I really identify with a rooster, right? I want to know if you can identify yourself with one ingredient, what would your ingredient be? You mean in a drink? Just an, Just an ingredient. An ingredient. Any ingredient. Oh, a maraschino cherry. Okay, oh. why? I, I would be all over that. I could eat a jar of them. <laughs> you know, and I have trained my grandchildren to do that. I, I, um, <laughs> we have a, a, an ice cream company in... in South Texas called Bluebell that makes the most amazing ice creams and they just recently came out with a cherry vanilla ice cream. I want to tell you there's a jar of maraschino cherries in a half gallon and my two little granddaughters that are, are, are five and seven between me and them we went through a half gallon of that in one week you know it was just so that's my that's my uh, that's my vice I really like that and I I have to tell you I recently acquired a new barbecue pit and it's kind of magic I saw an infomercial on it and I was sold on it but it's a pellet barbecue pit and you put the temperature on you put your meat in there and you go you, you can go shopping I really like that and that's kind of men do a lot of cooking in the in this part of the world yeah 
And so, you know, that's opened up a new world for me. Just like this Sazerac, I'm, I, if you you should put this on on your website. You should put all the things you just said as you were making it. It's important. I would like I would like to do that because a Sazerac to me tastes like a dentist. <laughs> Not anymore. Not, Not anymore. anymore. I mean, look, look here. I mean, I'm pretty much done. This guy, done. <laughs> Dead soldier. <laughs> well, on that note, let's welcome down. We'll go downstairs and maybe see if we can make one too. Absolutely, let's All do right. it. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.